Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here with Victor Davis Hansen, the Martin and Ilya Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, I want to talk today about some observations that you made in a piece that you wrote recently for American Greatness about a trend that you've noticed in American life whereby we are increasingly living this sort of bifurcated existence where the grim reality of many social issues is lived but not publicly discussed. And on the other side, you have this politically correct orthodoxy that doesn't really match up with the real world, but it dominates in the media and in public life. And that's a somewhat abstract framing, so I'll I'll just walk you through some of the exemplary issues that you cited in this piece. And I'll I'll start with one of the big cultural flashpoints of this last summer, which is statues that pay tribute to the Confederacy. The approved narrative on this is that these are symbols of racism and that tearing them down is going to promote racial healing. How would you contrast that with the reality on racial issues? Well, it's very selective, isn't it? Because you can look at that in two ways that sort of discredit that whole idea. One is that if you really believe that mute statues uh, convey an ongoing oppression, then you would go, you would storm Princeton University and tear down all of the statues of the racist Woodrow Wilson. Or you would say to yourself, I cannot be at Stanford University where I'm sitting right now because Leland Stanford said some terrible things about Chinese Americans and treated them very badly in the 19th century since. So I'm not going to allow uh, myself to get a bachelor's degree that says Stanford on it. But we don't see that at all because it's, it's as I said, it's a virtual virtue. It's not actual virtue. And then secondly, um, not only do we not tear down other statues, but we're not even consistent with our venom against the Confederacy because why don't people say, let's stop her all? She resurrected her career and quite lucratively with uh, Robbie Robertson's of the bands, The Night They Drove Dixie Down. And it's got some pretty pro-Confederate, very moving song, but it's just exactly sort of the musical version of a statue that they find intolerable. But again, it's picking and choosing uh, your targets of anguish, because you really don't have a consistent philosophy. It's just something that the left does to virtue, get power, get attention, mobilize adherence, but it's not a consistent principled stand. It's, it's so inconsistent and hypocritical, it can't be. Moving to a different branch of identity politics, gender. We, we've been having a national debate over the past couple of years about the oppressive qualities of gendered restrooms. Uh, I know that there is a public health development that you think is actually a more pressing issue for the LGBT community. Contrast those two for us. Well, if you were worried about um, the health, mental or physical, of LGBT young people, then you should be worried about an epidemic of syphilis that's breaking out among young gays in Los Angeles and indeed a lot of our major cities and it's a result of the post-AIDS epidemic where people falsely believed that they had absolute impunity from infectious diseases because a a medical cocktail could prevent the AIDS virus. But that didn't mean the age-old bane of the century, syphilis, wouldn't come back with a roar if you were promiscuous in a very uh, reckless fashion. And that's exactly what's happened. Yet we don't see the LGBT community say, my gosh, let's get a national education forum going to tell people if you're young and you're gay, 
be careful. You're very vulnerable to uh, syphilis, which in the case of tertiary syphilis is a deadly disease. Instead, we always we always ignore the felony and we go after the misdemeanor because it's much easier and it requires no anguish or pain or investment of labor. And that's exactly what we see with that issue. How about modern feminism? One of the issues that its adherents have put front and center over the last several years is what's often characterizes the epidemic of rape on college campuses. Score, score for us where that issue falls in the hierarchy of things what should be concerned about when it comes to what some people would characterize as women's issues. Well, I, I come up here to Stanford um, each week, and I can tell you that according to the official Obama-era narrative, one out of four Stanford women, as all women in co-ed education, educational institutions are going to be subject to sexual assault. That's what we're told. That's about almost a um, hundred times higher than the actual rate of rape in the general population. And in the case of a, of a very depressed economic and high crime ridden area, East Palo Alto, which has one rape per hundred, uh, per, excuse me, per thousand women per year, that would mean that Stanford co-eds would be leaving the danger zones in the dorms and flocking over. Statistically, they would flock over to East Palo Alto to rent an apartment and find sanctuary. But that's absurd. And it tells us that there are not one out of four women who are being sexually assaulted on campus, but there's a lot of women who have, I guess, I can see it. They have legitimate grievances against CADs, insensitive men. Uh, They hook up with people that they do not know, and the male is a very predatory species, and after the sexual congress is over, there was alcohol perhaps, or perhaps drug use, they feel that they were used or they were treated insensitively in what had been a consensual sexual union, and then they get very angry, and I can, I can understand that. But that's not sexual assault as the, as the law defines it. And if they're really worried about the plight of women, I could take them down to rural Fresno County where I live. And I can tell you when I go into Walmart or when I go into a road diner, I see women who are on 12-hour shifts that are being stiffed by child support. They, uh, they have children that they're, and they're getting minimum wage. And I don't see anybody anguished about that plight. So it's kind of a boutique. The feminist movement is an elite boutique obsession and uh, I really don't think the problem in America is a Stanford or Yale co-ed, co-ed feels unsafe in her dorm because uh, there's males nearby. It just it's, it, That's not the reality on a campus. Last one of these specific examples that we'll look at, the Hispanic community. The official narrative there seems to be that the be-all and issue facing Hispanics is immigration and, and specifically having the most permissive policy you can for immigrants who are coming to the United States from Mexico or from Latin America. Victor, you live in a community with a large Hispanic population. Is your sense that that's the most important issue when it comes to improving their lives? No. Uh, when I go to get my tires changed, the person at the local tire shop has a needle mark in his arm. When I go get my hair cut, the, the woman who cuts my hair has a needle mark in her arm. When I go to Walmart, the woman who waits on me has a needle mark in her arm. These are not drug users. They're people who three times a week go to the federal and the state, and we have both, 
uh, kidney dialysis centers in Selma. And the reason they do that is, and these are not people in their 80s and 70s, they're in their 30s and 40s, is that one out of every three California residents who is admitted to the hospital for any reason is found upon entrance and examination to suffer from diabetes and high blood sugar. And that's a preventable disease that's almost entirely due to diet and poor educational uh, efforts to inform people not to do certain pathological behaviors such as buy you know, a case of regular Coke. And yet when I go to the markets, um, I'm just shocked at the amount of sugar products that people purchase and for a variety of historical reasons people who come from Oaxaca or southern Mexico and they come up here the radical change in diet or the the difference about language barriers or whatever the reason is they're suffering obesity and they're suffering from diabetes at an inordinate almost inexplicable rate and yet we don't hear the La Raza Studies Department at Cal State Fresno say, you know what, let's all as a community get together and let's have a national, state, local effort to improve our diets and to stamp out this deadly disease because it's killing people. And boy, I, I, I know I sound alarmist, but when you go in th- to the bank or you go to the store and almost everybody you meet has had uh, an experience with a dialysis machine that week, it's, it's kind of frightening. And uh, it, it's not Palo Alto or Atherton or Menlo Park where I, when I drive up on campus, I see very thin people jogging and they've got carbon bikes and they're, and they're health conscious. These are working class people who in their 30s and 40s are suffering from a, a tragic but preventable disease. So taken as a whole across all of these issue areas, this is a pretty sweeping indictment. We've got in your diagnosis these major pressing issues largely being swept under the rug while all of the public attention is being paid to what are in essence pretty marginal concerns. To what do you attribute that mindset? I attribute it to this leftist orthodoxy that once we established by the 1960s after a long-fought civil rights movement that we were going to ensure a quality of opportunity the next step was it was left to the individual to take advantage uh, in terms of health or education or legality of these opportunities but the left saw that there was continued disequilibrium maybe there was lingering sexism or racism but in the leftist mind the equality of opportunity morphed into the equality of result so when they see people of various uh, gender or racial or ethnic categories that have not achieved absolute parity with a majority population, then they say that is because of males who rape or male, white males who discriminate or people who are insensitive to can be addressed of diet, health, behavior, um, and common sense. But if you were to go down that route, you would – you would have a lot of utility. It would really solve the problem, but it wouldn't create the fodder for a progressive political movement. In other words, once you establish a quality of opportunity, where do you go as a political movement from that? The only way you can go in revolutionary terms is to ensure a, a mandated equality result. And unfortunately, in the 20th century, whether it was Eastern Europe or the Soviet Union or National Socialism, we understand where that ultimately leads. You have to have a huge government and you have to use a level of force um, that's not compatible with a free society. But that's where we're headed. 
and that's where the progressive movement is headed. It's a quality of, of result society. Right. So to that point, the last thing I'll ask you, if you point to identity politics as one of the culprits here with all these different groups we're considering, there are two different ways to read the intersection of identity politics with sort of the wider political atmosphere. The first somewhat optimistic version is that the backlash against political correctness that fueled Donald Trump's ascendancy showed that people understand the fiction that's at work here and that they're getting tired of it. The second, more pessimistic diagnosis is that Trump himself has helped give rise to a new sort of white identity politics. And if anything, the fever is rising now because everyone is dividing into tribes based on identity. Which one of those is closer to your view? Well, I think they both are. I think, and they're not incompatible. I think what's happened mm -hmm. is we're still a, a society of about 65 to 75 percent, however we define white country. And what identity politics people didn't understand is if you brainwash people for 30 years that your superficial appearance is essential to your identity and not, you know, uh, just incidental, then everybody's going to do that for their own survival. And unfortunately, the majority population might feel that they were, you know, victimized by a constant mantra, white supremacists, white supremacists, even though they may, in economic terms, be worse off than, let's say, the Asian American community or the Hispanic community, the Greek, whatever community they are. Now, that's regrettable, but what will happen, I think, is that people will say, wait a minute, we didn't want to, we're Dr. Frankenstein, but we don't like the monster we created. It's turning on us. And then maybe they'll say, you know what, let's just call it quits. We don't want to go down that route. And that's what I think is happening right now is that people are saying, I, I like calling you a white supremacist. I like saying you're racist. I like saying you're sexist. I like hyphenating my name. I like trilling my R's. I like putting accent marks all over there. I like to identify with my tribe. But I'm, wor I'm worried now because you're doing it and there's more of you than me. And that's not fair. And so maybe we should just all quit. And I think if that's where it's headed... It's positive if it's headed that the groups start battling each other in the street as if the last days of the Roman Republic or something, then that's tragic. But I'm, I'm hoping that people will say we do not want a white majority movement to use the same tools of identity politics that we do. And we want to just go back and intermarry, integrate, assimilate, and make how we look and our superficial appearance incidental and not essential to who we are. That's, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. All right. Thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in to the Classicist Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, you can stop by Defining Ideas at hoover.org to read more of Victor's commentary. For Victor Davis Hanson, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.